When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Uh, oh, yeah. It's Friday. It's Morning Combat. It's back. Uh... Uh, the only combat sports show willing to televise an ongoing uh, editorial, uh, uh, you know, divorce, if you will call that. I'm Brian Campbell, the beige one. There's my co-host, Luke Thompson. Friday, March 25th, <laughs> 2022. Luke, uh, you're under the weather here, so thank you for gutting it out. MJ flu game style, but uh, you're home, you're safe, I assume. Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, by the way, that was a very low T intro. I was waiting for, I was waiting for the Pepe Le Pew kind of uh, thing. But yes, everyone's asking, do you have the Rona? Well, I don't, I don't know uh, because I've taken three tests since I've gotten home. Two rapid, one PCR. They've all been negative. But my wife thinks that I went to like the big lots of COVID testing and that the testing was bullshit. So I should yeah. go to this other clinic, which I'm going to uh, after the show today. You ever if shop I at test Savers? positive, I'll let you know. But huh? You ever shop at Savers, Luke? We don't quite have Savers this far south in the country, even though we're Savers not like south. is like if Goodwill slept with a member of the Target family, and even though the Target family doesn't recognize them as legitimate department stores, they're like, all right, they're family now. So we, you know, that's Savers, Luke. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's like big lots, you know, around these parts. Yeah. Um, so I'm all right. I'm just tired. That's it, really. Okay. All right. All right, Luke. Um, we promised, though, a great show for you today from Morning Combat, this show that wins all the awards, and uh, there ain't nothing like it, right, for good or, or, or for better or for worse. Uh, please like this video. Please subscribe it, because nobody quite sets up the weekend like we do. UFC Fight Night, Showtime Championship Boxing, one uh, X. We got a lot to chat on today to set things up. We'll get some picks, get some odds, maybe a laugh or two. We'll see what happens here. But uh, Luke Thomas has asked permission to uh, uh, editorially promiscute outside of the of the MK bed, and um, I've yet to I've yet to decide my thoughts on that. Right. I, I I don't know. I literally I know I'm being dead serious. I honestly don't know what you're talking talking about wow wow I, I hope i get to keep mikey in the divorce as well as the only thing i got to say about that um please uh showtime the label the great label that pays us uh we did have a very productive uh couple days down in fort lauderdale at the cbs sports office with our folks from showtime uh, a lot of great stuff to come from that but if you want 30 days of showtime this weekend is is another great example of why you should Showtime Championship Boxing back in a big way on Saturday night with Tim Zhu's U.S. debut. Get 30 free days right now on Showtime.com. All the Bellator you can handle just in time for the Grand Prix Tournament kickoff at Bantamweight. McKee Pitbull 2, April 15th. You're going to need this uh, leader in combat sports. They call it Showtime. We call it home, okay? And we must protect this house. 
Yes, so please try that shit out or pound the sand reverse. Uh, MK merch, I got a lot of it on here. And you can go to morningcombat.store right now to get your uh, MK tube t-shirts if you're into that gross. By the way, Luke Thomas today on our pre-show was like, you know, because Luke, you and I do have non-negotiables in life, as anyone would, right? Of course. I'm like, I can't wear this shirt in public. I I can't represent that. You're like, you all wear it at the splash pad right now. Yeah, I will literally wear that at the splash pad. It's not going to be open this weekend because it's going to be in the 50s but in the 40s. But yes, I would wear this without even the slightest degree of hesitation. All right. Well, that's morningcombat.store where, you know, they nobody got merch like us. So check that you out. You see, when you wear shirts from the band Dying Fetus where they're literally curb stomping people, you know, and talking about, you know, eating their entrails. Yeah. Wearing a shirt that says morning combat that kind of looks like the Pornhub thing is frankly a step up towards being classier. So it would be an improvement. All right. There you go. Uh, we've got a lot of great merch there, by the way. Uh, the, the the Factory Town MMA line, the Dead Luke line, the tie-dye line. So check all that out. All that and then some tall, pale, and handsome. It's your boy BC back at it with LT. And we want to remind you of, of, I don't know, our favorite partner in the game right now, Luke, as you can see in this glorious bottle. This is what gets me revved up to start the day, Luke. This is how I stay fired the hell up. It's our friends at Athletic Greens. Well, I got to tell you, BC, uh, I didn't take my Athletic Greens when I was in Florida, and then I came back sick. Is it a coincidence? I don't know, but it certainly caught my attention, and I got to tell you that I love it. Tastes great. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It's got like a mild tropical taste, and uh, I look forward to taking it every morning. I should have had it when I was at work. And here's the maintenance you need every morning. One delicious scoop of Athletic Greens into your water, your beverage of choice, and you'll be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens. They help you start your day right. Now, if you're a guy like me who doesn't know what any of those words mean, start your day clean. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Eat clean, bro, is a thing, apparently. But, Luke, if you, however you start your day, that's usually how you end it, Luke. That's usually that's probably why I pass out all the time watching bad movies, you know? Yeah, I understand. And listen, it's what's in this, as you indicated, it's a blend of things that help you with your gut health, nervous system, immune system, right? Energy, recovery, focus, aging, all that stuff. Yeah, and you can travel with it, too, which is very easy. So you talk about being lifestyle-friendly, easy, whether you eat paleo, Keto, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free. Look, we all we all are making some type of concessions to stay healthy here. Uh, this contains less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs or no nasty chemicals or really artificial anything. That's the thing at the end of the day. It tastes good and it feels good. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Or, or cold vape, depending on your personality. <laughs> but taking Athletic Greens is a small micro habit That has big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care. Look, I don't always eat right, but I do start my day right thanks to AG1. And by the way, I did see him take it when we were in Florida every single day. So he was living. He was he was he was living his values. Athletic Greens has over seven thousand five star reviews and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. Damn right. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition especially heading into the flu and cold season that you can acquire by traveling like Luke did. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. There's no need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health, which you want to be around a while or not. That's really what I got to ask you. 
To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat. And that's, of course, combat with a K, athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat to take ownership over your health and pick up some ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Yatch. There it is. There. I was wondering, how are you doing, BC? You started all very low T. Are you all right? Is there? You know, I'm all kinds of exhausted, Luke. Okay, but yeah. you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna persevere because, uh... bro, traveling in your 40s is nothing like traveling in your 20s. It's third, not third even week, close. Third week in a row for me, but I ain't complaining about it, Luke. Because at the end of the day, it's what it takes. You know what I mean? It's what it takes yep. to be great, Luke. Okay. You have to go get communicable diseases in the Sunshine State. You got, you know, you want to hoist those awards at the end of the day. You want to cash those checks. You got to get in that airplane. You got to go fight with your co-host. You got to turn things around, Luke. That's what we did. Thank you, Athletic Greens, as well. Um, that's about it. I, I'm not here to sell you anything more. I'm just here to sell you a good time and a good setup for the weekend to come. And we begin UFC Fight Night, Las Vegas. I think it's Las Vegas. We're back at the damn apex. I think we no, are. No, 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 no. This is a special one. Remember, they're in Columbus, oh, Ohio. Oh Matt oh, Brown shit. is on this main card. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's Friday, dead wrong territory. Let me take that, Al. Columbus, Ohio in the Nationwide Arena is your home on Saturday. We talked during storylines about this big heavyweight bout. Not intention, not in- initially, excuse me, set to be the main event, but it got bumped up. They're going to go five rounds, and there is so much at stake when Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins touch gloves here. In terms of obvious future title contention, contention, excuse me, and placement, you know, close or, or within the top five of this division, but in their own individual stories, having tasted an L here and there that has, uh, you know, been met in theory, especially the recent one by Chris Dawkins against Derek Lewis, to, to wake up and fix whatever needs to be fixed for that run at the top. Luke, as they are set to do this, and in my mind, potential crossroads fight, maybe, if Blades looks like he's going in that other direction. But the odds, Luke, and I get it. I know what the odds are meant to do. I know that they induce betting. But they are also great at what they do for a reason. And these odds makers right now, let's look at our friends from DraftKings, plus 340, Chris Dawkins is your underdog, minus 450, Curtis Blades, your betting favorite. Luke, at the end of the day, I do believe Curtis Blade should be the betting favorite. I don't think it should be that wide, though. I really don't at all. Yeah, I understand the point there. Blade's been knocked out, granted, by a dominant, experienced puncher in Derek Lewis the way that he was. And, of course, you know, I don't think anybody can take Francis's punches, right? I mean, Gon had to roll with them and then just not take them. But you can't just eat them and then survive. Everyone takes an L when they do that. Um, so I agree with you. I mean, there's no denying that Blades has done... This is the difference between this fight, right? If Blades... uh, Excuse me. If Dawkins beats Blades, Dawkins will have done something in his heavyweight career that he has not done yet. He has not beaten somebody this good. If Blades wins, it's very important and valuable, but it would not be anything new. Now, he could show us new things, but I mean, beating Chris Dawkins in that way would not necessarily tell us anything new or represent a brand new milestone for Curtis Blades. So I think that explains some of the differences there. But I agree with you, even though he didn't have a great performance also, Chris Dawkins against Derek Lewis, you know, you look at his numbers, BC, he lands 
7.71 strikes per minute. I mean, that's like, I think there might be five or less fighters who have a higher strikes landed per minute in all of the UFC. So when he is out there dealing, it is it is quite a storm. The question is, of course, can he do that? Yeah, and I don't want to be naive to the to the reasons why Blades could be this big of a betting favorite. And let, let's let's be honest, he's you know arguably among the most well rounded fighters this division seen in a while. Now, look, I think the real question, obviously, and we talked about it on Wednesday, is Blades is striking going to ever level out a bit and get you know get to that next level not level out excuse me you know just keep climbing and round out is really what i'm trying to say to get closer to the strengths he has on the ground and his tendency to lean into those strengths he's got to answer that but i think he's a better class fighter than chris Dawkins. he certainly has the experience factor he certainly only loses to the very elite and when when he has felt comfortable he has shown traces of of offensive ability i mean look at what god look what he did over him i mean we forget that sometimes a long time ago brutal. but but brutal where you know he can deliver so yes i like him as the favorite but if he decides to stand and trade with chris Dawkins, that's still pairing together blades biggest vulnerability mixed with Dawkins's biggest advantage mm-hmm. so luke strategy wise intention whether you want to look well-rounded or not, if you're Curtis Blades, and maybe this is why the betting odds are this wide, dude, you're, you're going to rinse and repeat and try to just drag this guy and smear him all over that canvas, all over the place, on the ground, Luke, from start to finish. There's there's just no denying. I mean, yes, I obviously think that we talked about this on Wednesday. We want to see some development from Curtis Blades, especially if he wants to be able to beat the kind of guys that have so far remained a little bit ahead of him in the division. Uh but, you know, the, the lopsided nature of this bout is crazy. Now, here's a good stat for Chris Dawkins. What's his takedown defense rate in the UFC overall through five fights or whatever it is? It's 100%. It's pretty great. Here's the problem. <laughs> he's, only had been, uh, he's only had to defend one takedown, and it came from Alexi Olenek. This is what I mean. He's never even wrapped up with anyone even close to the level of Curtis Blades as it, it, you know, it refers to the ground game. Listen to this number. When was the last time you heard a heavyweight with this number? Takedowns average per 15 minutes. And by the way, Chris Dawkins has only been to the second round one time in his UFC run. So like a third round would be totally new territory. So per 15 minutes, and this is a 25-minute bout, Curtis Blades averages 6.27 takedowns landed. So he's basically good for at least two around as it continues. Dude, that is nuts. That is extremely high for heavyweight. This really tells you where it's going to go. We just told you about Chris Dawkins' number striking. When he is out there dealing, he doesn't have all stoppage wins in the UFC, including his own loss, I suppose. We had stoppage loss, but all of his wins have come by stoppage and on the feet KO or TKO, right? Uh, I believe that's correct. I'll, I'll, I'll verify here. Yeah, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the point I'm trying to make here is it is utterly lopsided on the one hand Chris Dawkins is a very active competitive striker in that heavyweight division and has some great wins behind him on the other side he is totally untested against someone like Curtis Blades and even Curtis Blades is something as it relates to the wrestling anyway he's something unique BC because even the other guys in this division who could wrestle your DCs your Stipe's they still kind of mix it up a little bit Curtis Blades is just kind of I'm not going to say one-sided, but pretty close to it. Pretty close to it, right? That's where the best offense he gets comes from by a mile. Like, that's it really, you're talking about the Overeem win. Where did that happen? Elbows on the ground. That's where it happened. That's where he does his best work. 
And so, really, can you keep it on the feet or can you not? That is the only question here that seems to matter. Yeah, it it, it's, it definitely seems to be one of those. Upon examination, even with induced betting and even with Vegas tending to be right in these situations, it could very well end up this way, a five-round clean sweep, you know, ground-dominant victory or a late stoppage, if you can guess, dock us out. But, Luke... We did talk Wednesday storylines related to Blades' arc and his, to, to quote a phrase, upper bound limits. And I was a little bit harsh because, Luke, although the losses have only come to those super elite, and although I've been believing in Blades' you know, title potential for a long time, early even, um, he has a self-destruct button. I mean, everybody does, Luke. Now, but that self-destruct button isn't as easy to find as, hey, Dawkins, go out there and stand with him for two minutes, throw a couple combinations, and you get the knockout win. It's not It's not that easy. There's going to be takedown attempts. There's going to be, you know, Blades can handle himself a bit on the feet. But if Dawkins digs deeper, Luke, where is not the self-destruct button, but the, the strategy he can lean into that could open up, uh, you know, a turn in the momentum of this fight in his direction? Two things have kind of stood out with Curtis Blades a little bit, right? So the numbers with him, what did I tell you before? He lands 6.27. I mean, I just can't tell you. That is extremely high, extremely high for any weight class, by the way. The fact that he's doing it at heavyweight is truly remarkable. Here's the one knock on that. Takedown uh, accuracy. Not that low. It's uh, 53%. Takedown defense, 33%. There's a couple of things I think Chris Dawkins could do. One is you got to stay off the fence. I mean, just matter-of-factly, if you're up against the fence line, that is going to... I'm not saying he can't win if he gets put there routinely, BC, but you know as well as I do, if you're up against the fence, while winning is possible, it is going to be a lot harder. Again, you have to expect that some of that might happen, but you got to really have a sense of urgency about creating separation, getting off the fence line, and then resetting back to the center. Taking that fight at the center of the cage will be critical for a guy like him. By the way, I think backing up blades a little bit, putting a jab in his face, fainting, faking, stuffing the takedown in the middle, even threatening one of his own, to be honest with you, if he can manage that. Now, that gets a little bit dicey depending on your ability, but sometimes we've seen that that actually can be a pretty powerful and impactful deterrent. But the other one is, look at some of the times that a guy like um, Nganu has had some success with him. Or Derek Lewis caught him coming in. Of course, that's something you could do, but that's a little risky because if you miss, if Derek Lewis had missed on that punch, and Blades gets under it, he's getting taken down. So there's, you know, it's harder to do than it might look. You have to thread a bit of a needle. But if Curtis goes for a double leg that you can stuff and turn or a single leg, I've noticed that like Francis had a ton of success hammer fisting him into either getting him to let go or to make the attempt pointless to the, you know, to where he, had, he was forced to just like completely abandon the effort. And you know, obviously Francis hits really hard, so it's going to be somewhat unique, but it really was quite quite effective in, in swelling up the eyes of Curtis. I would say that, like, obviously first-order takedown defense is going to be important here, but if these if this keeps going a little bit and he has to kind of wrestle through his balance a little bit, hammering Curtis, elbows, hammer fists, creating separation, throwing a knee up the middle, things to really cause him problems on these takedown attempts because... What do we do? What do we talk about all the time, BC, when we have these come-forward strikers that just never stop pressuring forward? That will break a lot of guys, but for the better fighters, they're able to use that pressure against them by making them run into traps that they can set or otherwise meaningfully find offense. I think Chris Dawkins is going to have to wrestle pretty hard here, but he's got to find punishment in those transition positions as well and keep the fight at the center. 
Yeah, I think that's well said. You do have to make them pay that toll for for getting close to you or te- or, or or threatening it to. In, in this case, blades with the takedowns. But it's interesting here because what has made Chris Dawkins jump off the screen. I do fear there's some fool's gold element. Meaning, look, I think Chris Dawkins has cer- certainly with his hands, the punching, uh, the, the the variety of elbow strikes right there, the speed, the combos. You know, I want to I want to lump him, Luke, in that group with Tom Aspinall, Tai Tuivasa, this next generation of of guys who seem to have a more advanced skill set earlier in their career than heavyweights of of you know heavyweight generations of past have had. Meaning, when Chris Dawkins has looked the, the best on his rise, sometimes though, Luke, he's in there with, you know, like you fall off a, hip, a cl- you fall off a cliff pretty quickly in the heavyweight rankings historically, and even now, even though it's been reshuffled nicely to where you know it's the elite, and then it's sort of everybody else. And Chris Dawkins can lure the everybody else's into firefights early, in which his advantage and speed and technique and and his approach just lights them up and and quickly the fight's over. And I think he surprised a bunch of guys in that regard. Can that work against the very elite level, Luke? Uh, You know, as much as like the Derek Lewis loss was a sobering sort of early ceiling moment. Okay. First L on this level. Let me, let me go back to the, the lab and figure it out. Um, do you think he has the style and and enough of a well-rounded game, meaning Dawkins, to be able to do this on this level against someone who's going to have the same level of technique of him and have the experience needing to adapt in these key situations? I don't know. I don't know. That's why this fight is important. It will tell us the answer to that. What I do think is, let's assume for a second he's taking into this fight what we already know for him to have, maybe not necessarily a whole lot new. Right Here's another number I want to give you for Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades only absorbs 1.65 strikes per minute. Why do I think that really attacking the level change, if it, if, if it leads to a takedown or attacking the, you know, someone's on a single and he's moving you to off balance, why do I, th- like a lot of, yes, you have to wrestle through that first, but if you can find a, a safe or reasonably safe attacking position, you have to go for it. It's not that I think Curtis Blades is not tough. I think he's very tough. But what I also think is he can be, over the course of a fight, while he is relentless with the takedown, uh, and he is very good at not taking damage, if you can score damage on him, I think you saw this in the Volkov fight too, it can deter him for long periods of time from going, relatively speaking, from going back to that takedown. He can be a little bit deterred by it, and and he can second-guess himself. And I think that's going to be the priority. If it's just Curtis Blades, as we understand him, against Chris Dawkins, as we understand him early on, that's a fight Curtis Blades, again, in theory, should not lose. But if you can get him hurt a little bit, and now he has to respect any kind of entry, any kind of level change, any kind of wrapping up scenario, now he begins, he'll do it a little bit less, and he might do it a little bit more cautiously, meaning to say that it's not set up quite as well, or he doesn't get as deep every time. That, I think, is a very winnable fight for Chris Dawkins. I don't, to your point, can he do that? I don't know. We're going to have to see. But I think that is what's really going to be necessary because early on, before he's been deterred or affected, he is, and, and even through the middle parts of a round too, he is, he uh, the middle parts of a three-round fight anyway, he's relentless. He is uh, all over it. But he can be deterred by some of the better guys who can place good damage on him. It yeah. does affect him. I think he's got to hope that in Dawkins that he can come out and his his hand game uh, is at another level than Blades'. And and that's going to have to be a big part of this, right? How their how each other's weaknesses matches up with the strengths of the other one. And I think in theory, it's always like, well, how do you lure somebody into a standing fight, and or maybe even a brawl in which 
you know, you can again argue in this matchup that Dawkins will have those same advantages. Um, it's hurting them, of course. But Luke, do you think Blades getting hurt early with punches leads a, leads to a fight or flight ending, meaning sta stand in and fight off the threat, or or go even more desperate in terms of uh, takedown only uh, approach to this? That will that will depend on Chris Dawkins, right? Let's say he can meaningfully stop a couple of takedowns. He gets one, but he gets up, right? So that one of them counts, and he's he's in there and he's he's competitive with it. Then he has to decide how do I want to pursue this because just deterring Curtis Blades is not going to win you the fight because it's not going to stop him. It will deter him a little bit, but it won't ultimately prevent him from trying. And if he's still got enough of a, uh, um, you know, a good gas tank and everything else, which also could be somewhat questioned here depending on how much he has to work, but you get the idea. That's not going to win the fight by itself. There has to be another offensive component behind it, and that's where I think he has to pressure Blades into making mistakes when he can. What you know? How did? Derek Lewis find that uppercut it's because he timed it. He timed it. He got timed because he was shooting from way outside and he didn't set it up properly. That is a thing that quite literally we have seen works. It's hard to do and only the better ones can really do it, but it does have an effect. It's 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 noteworthy. It's going to be up to him to do that. Now, of course, this should be noted, Derek Lewis did that on the back foot a little bit, not the same kind of thing. I don't think Chris Dawkins is necessarily going to be like... I would argue Derek Lewis is probably going to be a lot better of a counter puncher than Chris Dawkins is. He's a little bit more of a trap setter, kind of sneaky in that way. Chris Dawkins is more of a come forward kind of heavyweight. And so I think that's what he's going to eventually have. Dude, let's just think about it. like what under what conditions does Chris Dawkins win? He has to bring that into this fight, but I don't think you can do that unless you have meaningfully put Curtis Blades on the mental and physical back yes. foot. We got to see him do that. And then within the within his ground defense, Dawkins, it's not just preventing the takedown; it's being able to, you know, to your best effort, cancel out the ground and pound attempts of of uh, of blades and and make Great it a, a no sum, you know, situ no win situation on on these takedowns. Um, that's going to be a big part of it. As will look the, when you're making a jump like this. If you're Dawkins, you're going to have to potentially show the five round cardio. You're going to have to be able to, you're going to have to show a lot, and that's why the stakes are this high. Luke, the heavyweight iceberg is, is clearly broken into two in the past two months, and the elite one is going that way, and Aspinall and Tuivasa are on there, and a guy like Blades tends to jump back and forth often between the two, but if Chris Dawkins wants to join those guys on that one, <coughs> you gotta win this fight, and this would be a monster win uh, in his overall arc. Luke, does he do it? What does this look like? Who wins and why? I'm gonna say Curtis Blades. Again, I just feel like I, I like Chris Dawkins' game. Um, but that's a tough two-fight stretch. The Derek Lewis back-to-back -back with Curtis Blades, that's something you're asking a lot from a heavyweight to, to do that. And so while I recognize that Curtis Blades himself, you know, obviously he rebounded it for, uh, when he fought Rosenstrike, but, you know, he is he he can be beaten. He is not uh, uh, some unstoppable force uh, in all ways. But I think he's much more battle-tested. He's beaten much better guys than Chris Dawkins has. He's been around a lot longer he should win this. Con In fact, it'd be you know it'd be somewhat surprising. Obviously, the odds are what they are, but it'd be a little bit surprising if Dawkins won and Blades lost. This is a fight Blades absolutely should win. So we'll see what happens. But I like yeah. I like Curtis here. If you're Dawkins, you got to hope that that things happen in threes and these young heavyweights that are riding this momentum that he's going to be a part of that. Uh, you nailed it perfectly. Is Blades capable of giving up this fight and losing it? You're damn right. He is. Unfortunately, but I don't think Dawkins is capable enough to make that happen. Mm. Will he eventually? He's, it's still young in the process, and there's a lot.
from Chris Dawkins that I have loved. You know, Luke, offensively, no doubt. I tend to believe there's a fighter in there coming out of Philly. His brother's a UFC fighter. Like, I tend to believe that intangible-wise, there's, you know, he's got a ceiling to show us a lot. It just may be wrong matchup at wrong time. Now we've both been wrong on some on some picks lately, and that's that's the game right there. I mean, you know, if you're if you if you get it right all the time, you're probably living in Vegas. But um, give me Curtis Blades on the ground, man. Give me a fourth round stoppage, Luke. He's gonna get he's gonna tank gas on that tank. He's gonna pull the gas. He's gonna siphon it out. He might steal the catalytic converter too, Luke. I think he may do the full job on him. <laughs> he might change the alternator. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you. I, th- I we're I'm gonna change your oil. Yeah, change yeah. your oil. But I will say this: if Chris Dawkins wins this fight, man, and like wins it cleanly, like the judges didn't do some screw job or the ref didn't fuck it up or whatever. That's a big, big win for Chris Dawkins. So a huge opportunity in front of him, for sure. Hey, this card's good, man. We said that on Wednesday. I got to say that again. Uh, Luke, co-main event, women's flyweights, Joanne Wood, Nay Calder versus Alexa Grasso, who we talked on Wednesday. Seems to have a nice home here in the new division. She's still got to prove a little bit more, but it's a short ladder to the top for Valentina Shevchenko awaiting any viable contender uh, Grosso with the two straight wins over Ji Young Kim and then Macy Barber being the, the the big one there. She's won three of her last four. That extends to 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 uh, five of seven. She's the fighter certainly rising against what has become the old battle axe here, Luke and Joanne Wood. Uh, the odds though have Grosso minus two fifty five under DraftKings as the favorite, plus two hundred five for Joanne Wood. How does this go any differently than? Three competitive rounds, but 30-27 Grasso, thanks to the boxing. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, okay, my my first thought is, and my last my last thought is, this is a fight. I'm sorry, you may have said the odds. Did you read the odds? Yes. On this one? One more time for me, if you could. Hell you yeah, Luke. Um, plus, plus 205, Joanne Wood, minus 255, Alexa Grasso. Okay, I think that's about right. I actually think that's much much more accurate. Here's the thing for me on these two. They're pretty similar in some certain dimensions. Um, there's one height, uh, one inch difference in height with uh, with wood being a little bit like a little bit taller. Um, Grasso has a one inch reach advantage, but in that sense, they're basically the same height, same reach. So that's okay. But they're both orthodox fighters. Here's what stands out to me in all of this. Um, Joanne Wood lands more at 6.71 strikes per minute, which is very high. She takes a lot at nearly four and a half, actually higher than four and a half. Alexa Grasso deals at almost five strikes per minute, which is a lot, and only absorbs 3.61. So she's a little bit more efficient with that. But the biggest, biggest, biggest difference to me that stands out is, one, jo- uh, Joanne Wood, I keep my brain keeps saying Calder Wood, um, she might go for the takedown a little bit more. She does mix that in. She has 1.57 per 15 minutes. Grasso just 0.28. So that could be something that shows up, especially if Grasso is pumping that jab and it's landing and it's working and Wood can't find a way to counteract it. Wood a little bit more, we should be noted, a little bit more kickboxery and, and then Grasso a little bit more pure boxing. Again, that's all relatively speaking. But the other part that stands out to me, BC, and this is the one I think will really matter in the end, Grasso... Uh, or excuse me, Wood, striking defense, 52%. It's about normal, something like that. Grasso, 64%. Dude, that is very high. That's actually yeah. like, I, rarely do I see someone have defense that high. I think she's going to be, I don't know how active she's going to be relative to what Wood does because she can be active herself. But I think over time that a, a bit of a pace might get put on her that could deter her. And the, if Wood can't find those counters 
right? If that 64% holds up, that's going to deny her. And I think that will then push her to the takedown. And if she can't get the takedown, that's when the the wheels might might start coming off the bus a little bit. Yeah, for me, it's not only that Calderwood, or, or sorry, Wood is 34 and has lost three of four, but I haven't seen a lot of life from her, Luke. Next level potential, you know, during some of these runs, even when she's fought the, the you know, the more elite foes available to her. Um, if she does get the takedowns, I just don't see her being offensive enough to make that a difference, Luke. I think the lo- this fight will be on the feet longer than it'll be on the ground. And when it's on the feet, Rosso's footwork and, and, and combinations, uh, she knows what she's doing there, Luke. It's going to take a different type of fighter to, to stop her momentum at this moment. So give me Grasso by decision. I, that That's my lead pipe lock, rock solid, uh, rock hard with emotion like Jake Hager uh, pick of the week, Luke. Three rounds. That's your phoner? Right there. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, establish that. Uh, Luke, there's uh, so many other fights to care about, but storyline-wise, this one is, looks like it's getting bumped up pretty high. 41-year-old Matt Brown uh, coming home here to Ohio, and he'll be taking on Brian Barberina. Certainly, Luke, in a fight that screams you know, fun and sloppy action and all that good stuff. But dude, Matt Brown, 41, as I just mentioned, he may not be getting enough of this sort of Jim Miller victory tour that he's going on. This sort of like, Mm -hmm. you know, guy who had his day, but, but look at the longevity, look at the toughness, look at the track record. And now you got Matt Brown saying in interviews this week, I'd like to sign a five fight deal after this one with the UFC and fight until I'm 46 and try to become the oldest fighter in the history to both win and and appear. Luke, um, this is a little bit improbable, this second half turn for Matt Brown. Not that it's been super, like, it's not that this is, you know, uh, it's impressive. It's not crazy impressive, right? But it's impressive to, 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 to extend your career longer than we think you would or should or could. But don't you remember there were times where you're like, yeah, he should probably go away now, like action star bending through the wars. He just never stopped. I don't even want to say evolving, Luke. Are you seeing a, a a Matt Brown that's evolved, or just a guy that hasn't hasn't let himself fall off yet because he's so damn tough? No, I I think uh, you misdiagnosed it here a little bit, actually. Yeah, tell me. It is it is true that as you get older, improvement becomes more and more difficult. In part because you already know a lot, and in part because your body won't let you, and there's just a lot of difficulties that you know. It's it's if. It, if you get to, if you're a peak bodybuilder, just imagine this, you know, it's easy to build the first 20 pounds of muscle, but like whatever your, your, you know, Olympia peak is to get the last few pounds of that muscle, it takes years and years and years to get the very end. It's, it's much harder to develop gains when you're at your genetic uh, peak and potential than, um, than otherwise, than if you're at the beginning of it, right? That's why beginners can put on muscle like that. The point I'm trying to make here about Matt Brown, though, Matt Brown's a little bit different. People talk about his toughness and his cowboy grittiness and things like that, and they should because they all stand out to you. He gets he's. Do you did you ever watch his season of the Enforcer, Matt, or the of the Ultimate Fighter? Matt Brown was like an enforcer on that season where they wanted Matt Brown to fight all the people in the house that they hated because it's like, oh, you fight Matt Brown, he's gonna <laughs> fuck you up, man. You know, like they didn't necessarily present him to be like the best fighter, but they kind of presented him as the one, like the boogeyman, like you, you know, if, the, if you're a reject on the show. You don't want to fight Matt Brown. Matt Brown will really hurt you. And it's that's been the reputation that followed. But I would humbly submit to everyone, if you really watch the tape on Matt Brown through the course of his career, here is what stands out to me. More than most fighters, he is a dedicated student of the game. He has remained extremely humble about his journey and has constantly invested in learning, learning, 
learning, learning. He is a wealth of knowledge. If you talk to him, by the way, that's true as it relates to his, um, you know, uh, I should bring it up, but Louis Simmons, who is an icon in the strength sports world, he was the guy from uh, uh, this famous gym that's out in Ohio. He invented this thing called the reverse hyper. I have one. Matt Brown uh, studied under him. And if you talk to Matt Brown about the conjugate periodization methods and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, Louis Simmons had a big hand in creating, you know, you'll learn that, like, this dude is invested in the academics of it, quite frankly. He is he is always trying to refine technique and what are all the dimensions of my game that I can get better. And he does it in ways that a lot of fighters don't. That's why I think he's still out here doing that on top of the fact that he is a savage and he wants to compete in this. I mean, he's and, a savage. And I, and I didn't mean to, uh, you know, under, to underscore, no, to um, overscore, middle, medium score, medium nog. Um, the, 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 the argument here of how he's done this, I just don't, I mean, you know, it's not like he was a striker and then I just meant it was not like he, to save face, he became a wrestler just to, just to linger. Right, right, right. Obviously he's, he's, it's, there's so many veteran tools and tricks and he's not, he hasn't stopped learning, but you know, you do remember when he got head kicked KO'd by Cowboy Cerrone in 2016, that was five losses and six fights at the elite and, you know, sub elite level still fighting one tough guy after another it looked over at that point he's three and two cents and that knockout of diego sanchez from a few years ago is among you know with the lead down driving elbow forearm is among the among the nastiest we talk about the nastiest finishes the most like angry like dan henderson over hector lombard just just nasty finishes luke that was certainly one of them but um do you think he can pull this off? The idea of, you know, I'm going to, he's already in win some, lose some mode. That's what you're like when you're veteran gatekeeper who's in there to test people. But you know what? You're still going to win some of them. Uh, can he pull off another five fights, another another five years of this, Luke? Well, it's funny. You know, the Jim Miller thing is the right, is the right comparison because he also is a huge, a big time student of the game, constantly working on stuff. There's a few guys that the UFC will let age gracefully. Have you noticed that? There's, there's not. Yes. They don't do it for everyone, but they, you know, when they realize, okay, Jim Miller can't beat the best lightweights in the world right now. You know, he can't do it. It, it wouldn't work. And Matt Brown can't beat the best. Uh, what is he? Welterweight at this point. He can't beat the best welterweights uh, out there. It's not really in the cards. But fans like them. They are competitive with other people who have, you know, or who are under contract and. You know, Brian Barberina is up and been down, but he's experienced. This is not his first rodeo against those types. And, you know, and these are somewhat still relevant fights in, in, in a sense about where people are coming or going, right? Because Jim Miller just fought a guy making his UFC debut. That was a huge fight, right, for his opponent. Matt Brown is in this stage where he's still able to have these, like, really, uh, you know, not super important fights, but he's able to have this old man tour, and it's because people love him. He is a hometown hero here but also because he has kind of accepted, okay, if I can't fight the best, I'm not going to get out of the game. I still want to compete, and I want to keep getting better in sort of smaller ways. Maybe the UFC will let me do that. And for him and for Jim Miller and maybe a few other ones, they have agreed to that. It kind of works in limited circumstances. This is one of them. And, you know, that does happen in other sports. Guys who for a season were, you know, the all-star level or just short of that, but then figure out, how to get a role, you know, whether it's basketball or whatever, and, and can play that role. Mm -hmm. uh, the, we just don't see that a lot in fighting. We don't see the old gr age gracefully and keep getting better. What Arlovsky's doing, what even what Diego Sanchez had done his last little run there in the UFC, 
what Jim Miller's doing. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed with this when you really look at what it takes to keep evolving and, and need to, to be that student with the physical grind, with the inevitable stretches of losing. Like, you know, I talk about that stretch where Brown lost a bunch. I, I don't want people to forget and only think of him as either an action fighter or a, a fun, tough old guy. And remember that his actual run, Luke, when he won seven in a row and, and got as high as that Robbie Lawler fight that, you know, <coughs> put him right there. He's a fucking good fighter, and he was nasty, and he was dangerous, and it was like that run. He got a decision win over Wonder Boy in that stretch, but that was four straight finishes. Mike Swick, Jordan Mean, Mike Pyle, and Eric Silva leading into the Lawler uh, title eliminator defeat, Luke. Uh, don't forget that that guy, that guy could play in this league at that level, Luke. Yeah, dude. I mean, you've seen guys who maybe were, you know, uh, once on one of the starting lineups in football, sometimes kind of just finish out their career in special teams or you know, sort of role players, and that's the way that it goes. I mean, I, you know, I, here's the thing. Is there a meaningful difference? And I think there is, but I want to ask you this. Is there a meaningful difference? To me, what Jim Miller in, and and Matt Brown are doing are, is very similar. Arlovsky is also doing something similar to that, but it seems like the UFC uses Arlovsky as much more of a dedicated, like, you know, measuring opportunity for his opponents, whereas... Maybe Jim Miller's last fight was like that, but I don't feel like they, they, Miller and Brown are have quite the same utility in that in the in their respective divisions. True, true. No, that's true. It's different circumstances, yet all falls under the same halo. And you know what, Luke? If you go on a run, a little mini run with wins, they'll give you the step opportunity step up opportunity that you're still looking for. You know, they'll level yes, you out that's for right. you mm-hmm. with, although respecting you in the other ways of, of matching. And let's not forget, Clay Guida's kind of in that category as well, Luke. Another guy I never would have guessed. Never would have guessed. Yeah, a little bit. I, and, and, and you know, and again, what, what do all those people have in common? What do all of them have in common? Super crafty, especially Miller, yeah. especially Arlovsky, and especially uh, Brown. Dude, they're, 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 they're not just veterans in the sense that they've done a lot and that entitles them to some measure of respect, although that's true as well, but... Dude, they've got a lot of tricks up their sleeve, and that's why they're still doing relevant MMA. Uh, DraftKings has Brown and Barbarina both even here at minus 110. So um, it's a pick em at the end of the day, Luke. Barbarina younger, but you can get him hurt, Luke, and he's got some mileage on him. So uh, I know you could be feeling a Matt Brown win here. I know it because I heard you say it this week. Uh, I lo- Your audio cut out for the last sentence. What would you say? I said Matt Brown uh, could win a knockout here, and I know that's a pick you Ooh. like, Luke. Um, yeah, Brian Barbarina takes a lot of punishment. Now, here's the thing. Barbarina's got really, well, I'm going to say, he's got pretty good cardio, you know? And Matt Brown has, I'm sure, trained his ass off. But at his age, I have noticed he and Jim Miller, you know, it's fair to say that they're probably not the same kind of physical force that they once were in terms of their overall cardiovascular push. Um, so there might be an opportunity for Barbarina to do something a little bit later in this fight if he can stay alive and keep moving and make Matt Brown work. But, you know, skill for skill, Matt Brown is way more skilled, I think, than Brian Barbarina. And uh, I got to tell you, I like I like his chances of winning here a lot, especially in his hometown, which, you know, we talked about this all the time, how a lot of guys don't get to fight ever in front of their home cities. And, of course, Matt Brown's not headlining here. But when it rarely happens, we should we should still call it out good for Matt Brown that he gets yeah. an opportunity like this to fight in front of his own home city. I remember he fought Eric Silva on that last fight of his of his you know prime run win streak, and uh, that was in I think Cincinnati. It was a Sunday night UFC fight night card, and the crowd went apeshit, Luke, when he got that finish. 
it was it was great to see. All right, Luke, we got to speed it up here, but this might be the best fight of the card, and it comes in the flyweight division, and maybe a potential title shot at stake as Askar Askarov and your boy Kai Kara France from from the CKB life, Luke, who is rising following that stoppage of Cody Garbrandt. Luke minus four twenty five Askarov as wow. your favorite plus three twenty. Now, Luke, there are. You know, you you labeled me a Zabit super fan, and I'm going to tell you, you're damn right. I love me <laughs> some Askar Askarov, and you know that. But I would roll the dice on a plus three twenty KK France every right. single day of this week, right. Luke. What's what are we doing there, Luke? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this isn't this isn't quite like the main event. I don't think that's fair because I think Askarov can strike a lot more competitively with France or um, Cara France than. Uh, what we've seen from you know, what, what Blades might be able to show Chris Dawkins, I guess we'll have to see. But this is the one that I think will define the entire fight. So in this sense, this is what binds them, right? Takedown average per 15 minutes for Askarov, 2.75. That is high. He's nearly good for a takedown around, and that means he's going to be trying for a lot more than that since his takedown accuracy is only 28%. So think about that for a second. He fails on 72% of his takedown attempts and still ends up at 2.75 takedowns per 15 minutes. That tells you he is on you like a dog on a bone. And that doesn't mean he's going to get every takedown. Far from it. But you are going to have to fight this fucker off constantly, constantly. Kaikar France is a much better striker than Askarov, although I think Askarov can strike respect respectably quite well especially if you can mix in that takedown threat right well and dude, that might actually end up let being me just the say this about askarov whether you look at him as a like one punch finisher or not and he's not his strikes are hard his jabs yes. his body shots like he 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 bites down on that man he goes after 100 100 percent i'm just saying to you what really makes him come alive and you saw this in a lot of his fights he can scramble well he doesn't get tired to your point he actually has some power in his strikes and, and when he can strike through scrambles and he can, uh, obviously, you know, he's good at taking the back. He's good at, you know, maintaining top position at times. He just is a workhorse through many more dimensions of the game. Kaikara France, I'm not saying if it's strike, he can't win. That's not true. But it's going to be a lot truer for him that if he's not striking BC, that's going to be a way harder fight for him to win. And when I say striking, I just mean at, at range. That's all. A lot of our listeners always reach out after we talk about Askarov and say, how come you guys don't shut him off for being deaf? So is he partially deaf, Luke? Completely deaf? I know that... Um, um, can you hear me? Luke? Hold on, BC. I can't hear you. Am I on the show I don't anymore? know if that's... Is Askarov Hello? fully deaf? Um, like Matt Hamill deaf? I, I think so. Hello? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, BC Zoom is messed up. So let me just give you some relevant information about this contest while we wait for BC to return. Um, Kaikar France, this is kind of interesting. Five strikes landed per minute, pretty high. Strikes absorbed, 3.79. That's also a little on the high end. Um, Askarov doesn't take nearly as much damage. It doesn't dish as much out, 3.37 landed, but just 2.65 absorbed. So a big key component of Kaikar France is not merely going to be avoiding scrambles and avoiding takedowns, really creating separation. But... Um, you know, finding ways to get accurate strikes off, which, by the way, this is why he doesn't take a lot of damage, in part because he can deal a little bit on the feet as well, but he puts his opponents in positions where they're constantly having to, I think, throw strikes in suboptimal situations. 
And because they're suboptimal, they're not going to be nearly as accurate, and he might be able to have some decent uh, defense. In fact, his striking defense, 56%, which is, which, which is a little above average. It's pretty good. I will say, Kaikara France's striking defense, 65%. Now, that is very high. So, again, on the feet, if you're Askarov here, it's not, it's not at all unwinnable, but that probably isn't the path of least resistance, right? It's probably not that. The grappling has got to be the key here. Takedown average, as I mentioned, 2.75 for Askar Askarov, just 0.51 for Kaikara France. Not really a threat in that way. Takedown accuracy is low, 28%, but when you just think about that, that means there's 70% of those unaccounted for. Obviously, he didn't score them, but they were all attempts either to set up strikes, cheat the distance, cut an angle, faint, fake, the whole nine. Well, it would be a fake in that case, not a faint, but um, you get the idea. You get the idea. Takedown defense, 64% for Askarov because I do think he's a little bit susceptible and open due to the somewhat open nature of how he competes. He's not a shutdown grappler type. He's more of a out-hustle, scrambler, kind of top position guy. That's a little bit more where he is. Um, by the way, my, uh, uh, my producer says Askarov was born deaf and through his hearing, uh, through, through, through life, I guess, his hearing has improved. He can only hear approximately 20% of the sounds most people can. By the way, it should also be noted, I can hear 0% of the sounds that Brian Campbell makes, <laughs> especially when his Zoom shits the bed. Getting back to the numbers here a little bit, as I mentioned, takedown defense for Askarov, 64%. Pretty decent for Kaikara France, 87%. Neither is a big submission threat, both at 0.0, .0 per 15 minutes. Would be interesting to see if that somehow gets weaved in here. Does one of them go a little bit outside of their comfort zone, a little bit outside of their previous sort of territory of what they consider, you know, high percentage attacks for them and, and, and really kind of throw in a wild card here with a submission attempt if, if one is there, a guillotine or to, to maybe something from the back or whatever. That could be kind of interesting. All right, I can hear BC now. Do we have him? I'm here. <coughs> I'm here. What's up, BC? I mean, you know. Yeah, nobody wants to hear why I had tech issues, but I had them. It was my fault. I'm back at it. Uh, Luke, is, is uh, Askarov deaf? Did I get that right? Yeah, he's, he's, he's got 20%. He can hear 20% of the sounds most people can. So he's not, that's, that's incredible. Not I mean, deaf. shout out to Matt Hamill, who had a very respectable career um, with the same um, setback there, Luke. Uh, I, I don't know where you're at in this preview, but I will tell you this. The best flyweight in the world is in this fight, Luke. And his name is Askar Askarov. And uh, he's going to win this one. And then the, then the next one. And, and you know, he's going to end up your flyweight champion, Luke. I, I think he's the most well-rounded threat. He's tough as nails. And everything that you said good about him, you're damn right. Um, this is a great test. I think he already deserved the title shot. But he's got a historic rivalry now above him in um, Brandon Marino and in, in, in the new champion, the old champion. Same as the old boss there with Devison Figueredo. But, uh, Luke, I just can't see. I mean, I can see. Those odds are, are they're tempting because I can see Kaikara France win this. Does, he have, does he, he have the firepower to win this, Luke? Does he have enough yes. firepower? Yes, he does. He, he does. does. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, you know, the firepower by itself is not enough to win. I think he would need a few other things in conjunction with it. But you're asking, okay. does he have you know, the kind of like round or fight altering power um, and accuracy to, to, to really hurt Askarov here. Yeah, sure he does. Mm -hmm. I love this fight. 
Give me Askarov, okay, Luke? There it is. All right, that's what's happening. Um, Luke, did you pick? Did you? Do you care? You you don't care. I will pick. Um, yes, I'll pick Askarov. I know you think I was going to pick Kai Car France because he trains in New Zealand, but yeah. I have respect for him. But I think this might be a bridge too far. I had respect for you by not mentioning that at all, Luke. Okay. Um, I kind of like this this sloppy fight that they're going to give us, Luke, as Alexi Olenek and Beefy Latifi touch down here at heavyweight. Um, it's it's largely gross and, unnes- and unnecessary, Luke, but um, uh, your quick thoughts, very quick, on heavyweight Latifi. Very quick. Yeah. Uh, it's, yes, great. <laughs> I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about it, but I, I, I don't, you know, it's not like a big, you know, editorial priority for me. And yeah, they're and um, they're and the producers are begging us to move on. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is, Luke. Uh Mark Jacasey also against Vlachislav Borshev to open what is could end up being a six fight main card, Luke. Um Dov let's Yagshi Muradov. Is there any fight you are loving on the prelim card as much as I have loved for Jennifer Maya replacing Jessica I against Menon Ferro, Luke, this is a tough-ass matchup for your uh, woman of French uh, kickboxing renown, correct? Yes, tough fight. Obviously, we know Jennifer Maya well-rounded, and again, herself, uh, experienced in this division, great on the ground. Uh, Menon Ferro, great on the feet, or at least, you know, has been mostly pretty good on the feet. So it, it, this fight, this, this card has a few of these sort of got these ladies or guys with very different ways in which they win. And we're going to have to negotiate that and see which one comes out. It's a, it's an interesting kind of coincidence. Also, Chris Gutierrez taking on, um, uh, Dana or back Garel Dana, who I think trains with Brandon Gibson over at Jackson wink. So another, and Chris Gutierrez, I think is out of, um, uh, not elevation, but factory X and Mark Montoya. So like, you know, two elite teams, elite coaches, that should be another fun one as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Neil Magny, Max Payne Griffin could end up being the featured preliminary bout. 41-year-old Sarah McMahon returning for the first time since that finish loss to Juliana Pena. She'll take on Carol Rosa. Few storylines there, Luke. Few fights that would be interesting, so I'll be checking that out. Luke, let's keep this, this train wreck rolling here and go back into the police blotter of all things UFC and, and a couple headlines that we keep making. Luke, Wednesday's top story... <laughs> Was certainly Jorge Masvidal, uh, two piece and a and a and a fractured tooth on Colby Covington at a Miami steakhouse. We're all through that, Luke. We're mostly through the moral conundrum and all of that. But news has changed a bit since then, with Covington now pressing charges, telling police that his ninety thousand dollar Rolex suffered fifteen thousand dollars in damage. So, Luke, he's going full on with this, and we do know. That this, uh, what Masvidal has been charged with can become a felony if fully convicted there. So, you know, there's no shortage of stakes here. But did we rightfully or wrongfully receive some criticism from our viewers for going, you know, I mean, it's an unfortunate situation all around. But not only did, you know, Jorge kind of announce it well in advance that's his style that's what he does and colby may or may not have had it coming i'm seeing a lot more regular life response to that from fans going nah f it at the end of the day that's assault brother the guy you know he had his chance in the cage yes maybe because i look at the fight game as so not pro wrestling necessarily but just an alternate universe sometimes the life these guys live to me is just like this weird game ultimate universe try to create fights out of beefs and all that, that 
yeah, our rea our fans' reaction of holy shit, that's some shitty shit done by Jorge Masvidal is 100% damn right. And Colby They're is right. the victim in this case. We're, you know, we never, uh, uh, you know, argued that. But um, you've seen a, 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 a wide reaction from fighters that seems to differ from the reaction from the fans. And what, in, in supporting Jorge? Yes. There's a yeah. lot of Jorge support. Uh, well, dude, I mean, this is one of the situations where it's a little bit unique, and I, 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 did, I haven't noticed. I have, I have noticed that the fans have very much taken Colby's side. Listen, I said this yesterday, and I'll say it again here, dude. If like, what would you think if Colby sued him? Nothing, dude. Whoever punched him, and Jorge is of course alleged to have punched him, but whoever the assailant is, made a very clear choice about what they wanted for their future, right? You and you accepted all of the things that came with it. Colby Covington is entitled to. Uh, legal remedy he absolutely is the victim legal remedy through the criminal justice system as well as um, any kind of civil uh, suit that may be launched uh, consequently right. and I wouldn't judge him for it even a little bit he is absolutely entitled to all of that my only point can be is again if you were trying to explain to an innocent bystander how this could have possibly happened it's not especially confusing what the law is and what we should tolerate in society of course, is one conversation. And then a separate one is that has nothing to do with whether or not it will. Uh, there is just very, it's abs, it is absolutely true. It is absolutely true. Colby Covington is a victim. Full stop. No argument about it. Period. That's, that's the, that is the full uh, nature of what happened on that night in Miami. It is also true that he agitated and provoked and showed incredibly poor risk management through an act designed for self-aggrandizement. Well, dude, the bill came due on that. Yeah. He cannot act surprised by that, even if I fully grant that what happened to him 100% makes him a victim. It does. Right. Like, as stupid as my explanation for that is in theory, it's true. It becomes this alternate world when you play this character publicly that this is some of the price you pay. Just like Luke, I like to live in a safe Oh, daily world that has the kind of rules that if somebody runs up with a mask and does this type of premeditated attack that, yes, like you said about Colby, I or you or anybody would have every right to sue for damages and press full charges and all of that. But you enter that weird world just like Luke. We all live under the same rules, but go into certain neighborhoods, I'm sure in Washington, D.C. or Hartford, Connecticut or anywhere and they got a different set of rules, Luke, okay? They do. It's just, there's, there's no freaking questioning that. So I didn't never said any of that to glorify Masvidal. I do seem to be the only one that it thinks it's premeditated to a degree in hopes of getting bigger fights. But even that aside, Luke, it's shitty, though. But is it not shitty under street rules because Masvidal has long stood by that being his style and his way to way to survive? Well, I mean, this is I a mean, stupid question, Luke. You know it's a stupid you're, question. You're asking the wrong guy about what the proper etiquette is with street so, well, rules. Is that I, why all the fighters are backing him, or are they only backing him because they hate Colby more? Is that I, I definitely, what's going well, on Well, for sure they hate Colby. For sure they hate Colby. Um, so that's a big part of it. I, you know, the other part is, you know, I, I don't know. I can't speak for the fighters. I, I do think, though, it bears one thing repeating here. Listen, this is what Colby, I think, thought that the risk management side was a big of a, a bit of a bit, uh, game. And it hadn't really cost him in person yet up until this incident. So he probably thought it just wasn't going to happen. Right. You know, how, how what was the likelihood of, of him being attacked? He probably thought it was much lower than it actually was. 
But the thing I want to point about Jorge is it's like, okay, here's what Colby got wrong about all of that. He went to Oregon State, and you know I realize he went to colleges before that, but he he was a two time All American. Like he went through this kind of process that a lot of, you know, middle uh, income Americans get to do. Right? You go to college and you graduate, and you can do things after that. And he chose an unusual career path afterwards, but he had a you know relatively normal ish upbringing in terms of that kind of experience. Jorge Masvidal. Did he even make it to the ninth grade? He dropped out. I don't know what if any kind of post-secondary education he has. I don't judge him for it. Everyone has a completely different life circumstance. In fact, he made great work of himself coming from the place where, you know, you're dropping out of high school or whatever, and then you're competing in the backyards with Kimbo Slice, and now you're headlining UFC cards, and, and you know, you're a multimillionaire. This is the only point about Jorge that I, I feel like has needs to be said as well. It's like, it's like dude, isn't the point of getting to a place where you're making this money and you're headlining these cards and your life is a lot more comfortable than it ever was before, isn't the point of getting to that place so that you can leave the street shit behind, right? One is supposed to be the graduated departure from the other life that you didn't like for yourself and you didn't want for yourself. You wanted something more, and he did it, and he earned it every inch, every dollar he earned. You could not take any of that away from Jorge, but I just don't understand the mentality where you finally get a chance to leave that and then you bring it back against a rival in a career path where you get to fucking fist fight each other and you just did a few. It, it, it's so just look, bad judgment. So Super that's, bad judgment. I guess that's why I'm so firmly in the idea of like, no, guys, Masvidal, like, although I do believe he stands for this, that's why, again, if there was no idea at all of a second fight or pay per view, you know, bonus for having done this, uh, you know, um, is he still wired like that? Yeah, yeah, of course, I believe that. But I have to believe that this was at least financially motivated for the future of getting a fight, only because if it's not, Luke, why the hell are you going to this length to to prove how tough you are when, again, you just had 25 minutes against him? Um, And now you've got a strong army of people, Luke, uh, on, on re- replying to our tweets and adding us in the comments and all that saying, Hey, Luke and Brian, how are you not mentioning that? Uh, Colby actually never said anything about his kids. And cause that's know, irrelevant. Jorge, it's irrelevant. Like, Colby said a lot of other shit about deadbeat wives and all that. Right. I mean, our <laughs> deadbeat being a, like Colby went deep enough where, where that's, you know, there's a, I know, it's not a fine line like, there. Pe- you, know? pe- I mean, you have to be a third grader to think that that is some kind of meaningful difference. It doesn't, yes, would that have been even worse if he had really gone out and been like, this kid and that kid is this and that? Yes, that would have been completely awful. Dude, please, everyone out there, stop it with this nonsense. That In the end, it was just harmless talk. Yes, I agree that if you live in a dignity society, it doesn't matter what anyone says, it shouldn't affect you. But a lot of people don't live in that kind of headspace. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, did Colby sufficiently agitate enough people that over time someone decided to sock him in the face for it, whether or not he brought up a kid? That's the argument. Not like, well, in my playground, you could talk about the older kid if he's a teen, but you can't talk about the little one if it's a girl or if it's five. But if it's three, you can kind of like these stupid ass rules that only a simpleton would consider as like the meaningful difference. No, the dude agitated violent people and they reacted, period. That's the argument. I lean more toward that knowing there's a price to pay when playing a shtick like that, and and that's what it is at the end. Uh, Luke, quickly here, but UFC has not really responded, and I don't expect them to. UFC's track record, Luke, (laughs) obviously very controversial at times is just to, oh, we'll let the law handle it. But I think in this case... And look, maybe it's the same case with Habib Connor. We just felt like 
the the dolly with the window and the Habib Connor was diff. I mean, it's different, Luke, but it's it's close, but it's different. Um, but with that said, it's kind of like hockey in the NHL in a way, where it's like, of course, I think UFC's got to like this. I, I know you could tell me, BC, you're crazy. It's a bad look. These are pro athletes represented on you know Disney owned ESPN and blah blah blah. I think they kind of like this, Luke. I do. They Tell might. Me I'm wrong. Th- that Tell part me I'm you wrong. might be. I mean, like it. I don't know. I don't. I, I think wouldn't they would prefer rather prefer it. Wouldn't prefer it. Wouldn't but, prefer it. Wouldn't prefer it. Yes. But like, they're not cracking down, saying you guys need to show up in suits on your way to the arena. You need to act something. I mean, you here, know. Here, here, here's what. Here's how you know that they don't care that much. I mean, I'm sure they're not like happy about it. But here's how you know they didn't cut anybody. Right? Like, if it really bothered them, if it was like, no, fuck this guy. We cannot do business with him anymore. Forget it. You're done. Go live your life. This is not how we're going to, you know, proceed. Yeah, that would tell you that they probably had enough. No, they didn't. (laughs) Business as usual. It was, um, it was the, you know, former head of the NWO, Eze there um, on a pro wrestling side here, Luke, that um, Eric Bischoff, who said, you know, Controversy creates cash, Luke. Okay, so um, at the end of the day, Luke, Jorge's gonna have to pay a lot of cash, um, and he's got to hope everything goes his way legally. But they're both gonna they're both gonna benefit from this, as will their employer. More news at eleven, Luke. Uh, he wasn't the only one. Oh, sorry. Quickly, uh, is Habib out of line with this response? I think we have the tweet to throw to. Um, some people argue, you know, Habib's never tweeted, and this could be Ali. You know, you could go yeah. a lot of ways with this, but. Here was the response of Habib of this incident. If you are stronger than someone inside the octagon, it does not mean that you can insult his children. No one has the right to insult someone's family. Once you have gone down this path, then be ready to back up your words. You were attacked by a pro fighter, the same as you are, your own size, and you go press charges against him to the police. I think all Walter Waits should refuse to fight Colby. Just don't accept fights with him. Let him sit without a fight. It will probably significantly affect him and all fighters who even think of insulting families who is provoking the fighters to look for someone in restaurants to deal with him. Luke, we did see a lot of tweets from fighters going, Hey, I didn't see Leon Edwards, uh, you know, get the, get the authorities involved. I'm not here to debate that Luke. I'm here to hear you debate Habib's take. I don't agree. (laughs) I don't agree at all. Like, dude, I don't want to live in a world where people think that because I or anyone else said something that another person doesn't like, another person can go and sock them in the face for it. I think we can all agree that, you know, certainly at a bare minimum, Kobe made a dedicated effort to be as indecent as, as you know, a, a person probably could. Again, there's, I guess, suppose other limits he could have gone to. But, you know, he was trying to fuck with people pretty hardcore. And so I understand that, you know, that's going to agitate people if if you do that. So I, I understand that. But that doesn't mean I then secondarily follow that up with, well, I guess we just, yeah, we should live in a rule, uh, live in a world where, you know, you, if someone doesn't like something you say, they can fucking punch you in the face for it. No, that's, that's barbaric. And, and yeah. I yeah. don't agree at all. The fans backed Kobe though. The fans backed Kobe big in this, uh, debate dude he is the victim i'm sorry like what he is just just ask yourself what did colby say as as awful as it uh, he said many awful things yeah what did he say that was legally actionable nothing like again in regular life i'm not supporting any of this this ain't regular life to me it's a little different like you know like luke when i get into you know dust-ups on the basketball court i always think you just you leave it in that court though you know as long as i didn't Uh, cross a line with my mouth we leave it in that court 
right? Right. I understand that. But again, it also just bears repeating like people like, yes, this is what I mean. Like people who speak out on principled stances and then bad things happen to them. You know, that's, that's one thing, but like, you know, knowingly agitating against people for self-aggrandizement and doing it in very questionable ways, even if he may or may not have said anything specifically about the children, seems what somewhat irrelevant. You also have to weigh the pros and cons of that because, dude, tons of people, we should say this, tons of people have agitated and haven't had the record of having people run up on him like Colby has. I think people should reflect on why that has happened or not. Luke, if I went through with it, or maybe it's more like when I go through with it, in in attempt the rear naked choke to force you in that same you know tap or nap biatch moment, and I do because of your stubbornness put you to sleep. When you wake up, would you sue me? <laughs> when you wake up from that dream that you're having, you let me know. Okay, okay. You know, I I I wonder that sometimes, Luke. I do wonder that. You know, yeah. You can have... you you should leave it there. You should leave it as you know, I wonder. Yeah, you know, I, I am wonder. Uh, Luke, your buddy Conor McGregor arrested again. Um, this time in <laughs> my West best friend. Dublin. We, we hang yeah. out all the time. Uh, pulled over. Um, and his vehicle was seized, charged with dangerous driving charges. Luke, he was driving a Bentley Continental worth one hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars. If convicted here, it's a hefty financial pen- penalty and up to six months in prison. Luke, is this um, a wake-up call or is this just, you know, the price of being famous, Luke? Yeah, it's the price of being famous. They actually have video of this. Like, uh, two guys were driving in Ireland on the highway. They spot McGregor, who had the top down on his car, or looked like it anyway. And they kept saying, up the Mac, you know, like, big ups to him or whatever. And he was shouting back at him, so he was loving it. And I don't know if I don't know if he had done something before that or he was doing something during the middle of that. But then the cops flag him, you know. Uh, I mean, listen, they said he passed sobriety tests, which frankly to me is the more important infringement. But you know, we'll also say this: we got Errol Spence Jr. coming back, and he had the retina surgery, which is what prevented the Pacquiao fight and everything else. But before that, he had his his Porsche or whatever it was being flung yeah. into the air because he just wasn't reacting, or you know, he wasn't uh, he just wasn't being a good driver. And there was more to the story than that. Obviously, I'm just saying. Yeah, there's you know, a lot is this the biggest scandal? No, but I would prefer him to not being getting pulled over and arrested for driving like a, a maniac. While Connor has had too many arrests, you know, in the last four or five years, and there's always controversy swirling around him, this doesn't scream as you know scary or ridiculous. Um, in 2017, he got he paid a $440 fine for speeding, and then in 2018, Luke, he had his license revoked, and he uh, faced a huge fine when he got pulled over doing 154 kilometers in a 100. Um, so, you know, when you're a risk taking pro athlete, like, you know, did you expect Lawrence Taylor to do anything for the style he played on the field for the giants? Could he be anything than what he was off of it? Luke, just a full on, just, you know, get after it in the, in the personal life in the nightclub scene, Luke driving sports cars at ridiculous speeds. I mean, our, us, our favorite rock stars, our favorite action heroes. We almost expect that. I ain't saying it's a safe thing though. No, it's not. You know, in Florida, they don't make anyone who's driving a motorcycle or a Vespa wear a helmet. Boy, they don't give a fuck down there, huh? Well, they, they don't just... want. They don't want to be told, Luke. Anything, I see that. Okay, so yeah, it's just like, hey, you know, um, we just don't mind dying. Like we, it's just a thing that we do every day more than most. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Um, Luke, we've got um, uh, Nate Diaz making a lot of noise about both. Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, and then Dustin Poirier jumping in. We have some tweets to throw to you. 
I don't expect you to care necessarily that he's jawing back and forth with Connor of who submitted who and and who should play who in a movie because Jared Leto got involved and said he'd love to play McGregor. But again, I ask you as we run through these and look at it, um, why the hell is Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier not been freaking booked already? Like what the look, I can only conspiracy, you know, web together a lot of ideas because why the hell is this not happening? He ain't capable now or this year, okay? Incapable ass. <laughs> Been trying to fight for seven months, UFC. Let's fucking go. Don't forget that Nate tweeted about wanting to fight for Bellator on the Hawaii card, Luke, as well. Yes. All UFC fighters need to stop getting arrested for stupid shit. You're acting like animals, irresponsible little kids. Get your shit together. Drive safe, please, and act right. Fuck. <laughs> Luke, would you have survived being raised in Stockton? Do you think you could have? I mean, you did the Marine thing. Um, you know, I survived maybe happily. <laughs> I, not that I've not that I've known what that's like at all uh, throughout forty two years of life, but probably Luke, whatever are, I've experienced would be even less. Okay, should we be concerned about this Diaz Fourier thing, or is it you just think they're kind of waiting and plugging it plugging it in on a large card in the fall or something? Yeah, I think they're trying to figure out their calendar, and then they haven't done that yet. That's what I think because they're they're very meticulous about their planning. How many shows? Where are they going to be? Who's going to be on them? What if, what belts need to be in rotation with who? You know, they're very good about that. So, I tend to think that's probably what the holdup is. Oh, I think I'm reading uh, potential quick hitters here, Luke, off the, the wrong list. I think I copy and paste it on my list. I'm glad you're so dialed in for today's show yeah. as host that uh, we don't great we don't have these problems. Um, so maybe I'll talk about that other thing later. All right, Luke, uh, topic three is, uh, one championship is going to have their anniversary card called one X signifying 10 years, um, making, um, rap tunes, Luke, ever since honey's was wearing Sassoon, um, for sit for, um, Chatri Sid Young Tong and company, Luke, it's a big celebration. There'll be a, it's almost like three cards in one. Across multi different, um, of course, disciplines, MMA, kickboxing, Muay Thai, all that, Luke. But the main reason for us U.S. MMA fans to be pumped up is that co-main event when Demetrius Johnson does the multi rules, mixed rules fight against the kickboxing sensation Rod Tang, Rod Tang, Rod. Is it Rod, Rod Tang? Tang? I think it's Rod, Rod Tang. Tang. Um. Luke, he's a savage. He's an action fighter. This is creative. This is fun. We nailed all that already. What the hell does this actually look like? And how much does DJ, after that loss, Luke, re-examine, you know, where, what, which direction in his career he's going, Luke? I gave you a yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is one of those fights where, you know, what does the result mean? You never really know because if D DJ goes out there during the MMA round and chokes him out, then who cares? Or maybe that doesn't happen, he gets knocked out. Or it doesn't happen, but then he's actually like pretty competitive on the feet or whatever. You know, who knows what the what it'll look like? You, it, it's like it's like when you have the you know two like when a boxer fights an MMA fighter. It's like well, whatever you know, whatever round that happens and is the likeliest outcome. Now it is true that who was it? I forget the guy's name. It was a Japanese guy who fought Shinyaoki. He was a kickboxer. Janso, I forget was it, uh, Yamaguchi was his name or something like that. Anyway. Um, and he survived on the ground and then need uh, Shinya Aoki in the stand-up round, which, you know, it, again, sort of is one of the more plausible outcomes you're going to get. I tend to think that what this fight signifies is that it's fun, could be kind of interesting. One guy might outperform expectations in the side of the game that they're not in their best. 
But in general, like however it goes, you'll probably be like, oh, right. It was always going to go, you know, in, the, in one of these likely scenarios. Are they fighting until a stoppage? Or I know there's two what, two rounds that are MMA, two that are, uh, what is it, Muay Thai or kickboxing? Um, I think I think Muay Thai. I'm not sure. And then do they go to a fifth if it's deemed a a draw there's probably something funky in there it'll be fun to watch luke just the same the guy that did beat demetrius johnson to defend his one flyweight titles also on this card adriano marais he'll be taking on yuya wakamatsu luke that main event has a lot of people talking even stateside about angela lee defending her adam weight title against stamp fairtex are we sleeping a bit on angela lee when we rightfully criticize one for its you know financial claims and all that and ratings claims what do you mean? I mean, like she doesn't deserve praise. Should we be talking about her more? And we don't because one's got a you know a little stigma on it. Well, the other part is that she doesn't have a ton of fights. She has lost two of her last three, um, so I think that might be part of it as well. Uh, and now one but of them she was, was going still, out of her. Wasn't she daring to be great in a way? Yes, and she, so so two things. One, she got the revenge in one of the fights. The other one was Michelle Nicolini, who was like. Michelle Nicolini scored the most gruesome armbar I've ever seen of all armbars anywhere. It was when she took, I forget who she did it against. Maybe uh, it was Mikey Musumeci's sister. And she'd pull the arm. And it wasn't this. It's that she took this arm and bent it all the way across her own back. I'd never even seen anything like that. And it was the most gruesome thing ever. So losing to her is not the, not the biggest deal in the world. But to the point, I think that has somewhat dimmed the relevant um north american media from covering her more yeah that's fair um she'll be main essentially main eventing this whole event which uh is going to have a seven fight main card called the grand finale that kicks off 8 a.m eastern on saturday morning luke or is it sunday morning i'm not even sure i think it's saturday morning but uh shinya aoki is going to have a a fun old guy fight with sexyama and uh ed furlong luke is going to from uh terminator 2 is going to take on john way par in a muay thai bout and plenty of kickboxing champions who I could never pronounce their names. But one is going to have its moment with 1X, Luke. Look, you got you got to check it out. Mighty Mouse in this weird fight, you got to check it out. All right, Luke, quickly uh, boxing this weekend. We went hard Wednesday on Tim Zhu's Showtime debut, U.S. debut. Both will take place in Minneapolis at the Armory Saturday night. Terrell Gaucher, the opponent for Tim Zhu. And this is the first of the spring-summer schedule for Showtime, Luke. And it's a good triple header. Uh, we talked about son of a Hall of Famer and all that stuff. Let's talk turkey in the ring. Tim Zhu has shown a lot, Luke, but it's been on the domestic level. This is the perfect step up in my eyes against Gaucher, who can counterfight effectively, great technique, and is coming off a big knockout, second-round stoppage of Jamonte Clark, which offsets the criticism you normally hear from Gaucher uh, surrounding him of he's skilled, but he's a little too passive, doesn't let his hands go enough. I think he's trying to resurrect that, Luke. Is this a fool's gold fight? I mean, a, a trap fight here for Tim Zhu. Is he walking into something, Luke? Or are we going to see the next the next at 154 take that one step closer? I, I don't know what to expect from him. I know you've been high. I watched the Jeff Horn fight. He looked pretty good in that one, to your point. Like, he actually looked really good in that fight. I tend to think he should beat Terrell Gaucher, um, who I think is a good, if flawed, fighter. Right, I think that's maybe a fairish way to put it. Here's what I want to ask you, though. I have noticed that when you say to me, and I don't find it all that controversial, but 
when you say to me like, oh, he did a lot of stuff domestically, but now he's in the big leagues. A lot of the people in Australia are like, hey, fuck off, bro. Like, or mate, because what he did here was actually pretty important, not just from the box office perspective, because he's been on pay-per-view there for a while, but he actually beat some good names in here and showed some great ability. And it's you fucking assholes who didn't recognize George Cambosis was any good because y'all are some haters in North America. What about that? Okay, so what that means is, and shout out to, you know, down you shout out to Australian boxing, just like we're shouting out the explosively ridiculous rise in the UK and Ireland at the moment, is now y'all finally got a good, you know, f- you know, amateur system and feeding system to create this type of run now. Have things changed for good in boxing in that regard that you, that they're consistently putting out world-class fighters? Not completely, but there's momentum right now. So I get that nobody wants to be insulted but as things have gone in the modern time in boxing, you got you got to prove it in Las Vegas on the pay-per-view level, you know, uh, against uh, the American champion of the moment or the champion from Europe, you know, or fighting in America, whoever you get my point. But um, this is a, this is a big one, though. This guy has potential to be the, the best boxer in this country's you know history, Luke. And this, this country's had 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 a few you know legends for sure. But um, he's coming on, Luke. And if you look at the odds here. And we've talked about why he's so good and why Gaucher is a tough test. But unless Gaucher really lets his hands go and gets to another level, it's certainly a passable test. Uh, the betting odds, though, Luke, which tend to be wider in these big boxing fights than the MMA ones, minus 1,100 Tim Zhu on DraftKings, your favorite. Jesus. Plus 650 Gaucher. Uh, so they're the you know Vegas giving, giving young Zhu uh, a ton of respect. But, Luke, how is he going to do it? It's going to be behind that big jab. Yep. It's going to be a consistent body attack because that's what he does. But I think if Terrell Gaucher gets too reckless or too offensive, Zoo's too schooled, poised, and, and can time him, and I think he can get him out of there. So there's going to have to be a, a, a dance is going to have to do, meaning he's going to have to really control the terms and pace of the fight, Luke, but he's going to have to be offensive enough to take, you know, to take the the the, sh- the shifter away from Zoo, I don't know if he can do that. That's the real question for me, Luke, because yeah, it's not I mean, just here, be more offensive. You're going to have to yeah, take it, over the terms of this fight. That's right. Erickson Lubin is showing you here a little bit of what I expect from Tim Zoo. Not so much the center of the ring. I think Tim Zoo is going to push him back with that big jab, as you mentioned, and really begin to go. You know, probably do more volume. I, I would say. I would say. I don't know if Gauthier is the bigger slickster. I think Gauthier is going to try to be the bigger slickster in this one. And I think the guy with the better fundamentals and the better punching power, which I think is Zoo, is going to get it done. But the point I'm trying to make here is, BC, I think behind that jab you're going to see a lot, and I think you're going to see Gaucher. How soon? I don't know. But eventually, I think that stoppage is going to happen along the ropes. I think Tim Zoo is going to really press physically into him and make him fight along the rope, uh, the ropes itself and then the rope line. And I think he's going to get picked off from there. So does it get stopped? I don't know. But I'm expecting big damage late. If Zoo is as good as we think he is, these are the type of these are the only types of fighters that Gaucher really loses to. So, you know, he lost Erickson Lubin, he lost to Arislandi Lara in a title bout, he had a draw with Austin Trout. That's the type of level. So I think Zoo will do it. And this is a look, if he can get a stoppage, it's a statement. It's it's a statement. You know, I don't know if he can get the winner of uh uh, of uh, Castaño Charlo too right away, but you know, let's watch his rise if he can win this one and continue on in the States and Showtime. And yes, yeah, so, well, I, I got the, ta- the, the I got the time limit coming here, Luke. The end of the tunnel. We're going to get through this in time. But this is a triple header Saturday night um, for Showtime, and this co-main event. I don't want anybody to sleep on Michelle Rivera is an unbeaten lightweight who 
is putting something nicely together that we don't talk about him with all of those young lightweights, maybe as, enough, as much as we should. He fashions himself a young Cassius Clay in, in models and dresses just like a young Muhammad Ali. His game isn't nearly as good, no disrespect, Luke, but he is a talented guy on the come up. What I love is what this test is. Joseph Adorno, Luke, just two, three fights ago was an unbeaten top-ranked prospect from Puerto Rico, a puncher, a guy who goes after it. And then he sell, he he has back-to-back draws that were somewhat disappointing. Now it seems like he's on the open market. And um, this is a tough out for Michelle Rivera. They know each other. They've sparred in the past. So I'm really hoping people will circle on this co-main event, Luke, because Rivera has looked special, but this is going to be a tough fight. I will take you at your word. I frankly would be lying if I said I knew a lot about either fighter, but uh, certainly to just remind the folks at home, Tim Zhu and Terrell Gauche is the main event for a reason, but it's certainly not the only event. Yep, so that triple header, Elvis Rodriguez returns as well. Luke, uh, quickly, ESPN's going to give us Miguel Burchell against Jeremiah Nakatia, and here's why this is interesting. Burchell has not fallen. You love this fight. I do, because Burchelt was the boogeyman at 130 until Oscar Valdez moved up and knocked him out in that sensational fight uh, you know, over a year ago. Burchelt yes. is now finally making his comeback. He's moving up, though, to 135, and he's taking on Nakatia, who... Um, Lost to Shakur Stevenson in his biggest step up, but he has legit power, and he made Stevenson, to be fair, Luke, circle away from that power pretty much the entire second half of that. This is a good test to see where Burchelt is. He's got a new trainer. He's got a new outlook. He took a legitimate uh, break off. Um, If he wins this, Luke, he's a fun B-side, but he's a fun out at 135 with all these other big names there. I mean, he can make some big, fun fights. How, what's the biggest one? Let's say he gets the the you know, spectacular win. What do you think is a likely big fight that could potentially materialize this year for him? Politics plays a, a big part because you know he fights sure. for for top rank there uh, on ESPN. But you know we do have um, look the, Shakur Stevenson's fighting um, Oscar Valdez in a freaking amazing fight. Could the winner of that be a great fight at 135 against Burchell? Mm. Uh, yes. It looks like Teofimo's moving out so up to 140, so that is in a lane or an angle right now for him. But Lomachenko's going to need an opponent when he does come back. These are the type of fights that would be great. Everyone wanted Lomachenko versus Burchell at 130. Never happened, Luke. This would be great to see those two against each other. So... Uh, check out that one. DeZone's also going to give us a very interesting rematch. Kiko Martinez, the 35-year-old uh, who, who had the upset knockout win uh, to become champion late in his career, is going to take on Josh Warrington a second time from their decision back in 2017. And Luke, Eric Morales and Orlando Salido, the two old Mexican legends, retired, are going to do a six-round exhibition bout from uh, somewhere in Texas, and it's going to air on Fight TV <laughs> It's going to be 154 pounds, and I love both of these two action heroes, and they're probably going to end up thinking it's real and go after it, and so that could be fun. But Luke, should we worry that James Vick is going to be boxing on that undercard at 168 pounds against Simon Alejandra Heredia Cortez, who is a 38-year-old with a 0-1 professional record? Um, no. Luke, See, here's the thing. If, if James Vick was like really trying to go like you know make something of himself in boxing which I think would be very difficult to do uh, given the circumstances. That would be one thing. But it sounds like he just wants to compete and test himself a little bit, a la, you know, not quite as nimbly as Jim Miller or, or Matt Brown. But, you know, if you're fighting a guy who's 0-1, 38, how much are you really risking? It's not, you know, for, for a professional fighter, it's not that risky, all things considered. You know, you don't want to diminish the threat per se, but I, I don't have a big problem with that at all. I think a guy should be allowed to do something like that. 
All right. All right. Uh, quickly here, Luke, to get out, we got a couple quick hitters. Um, Paige Van Zandt is going to be back in the BKFC cage uh, or ring or however you want to call it, but it's BKFC's first move to London July 9th. No opponent announced, but it's going to take place at Alexandra Palace. Luke, it looked like she was going the uh, the pro wrestling route. She signed with AEW. Then she's telling everyone she's going to be back in MMA before you know it. This is a little bit of a surprise. I don't think you care, though. Uh, I do agree that it's surprising. I, I I wonder where this ultimately will head to AEW, Bellator, PFL. I, I don't really know what it all means, but yes, um, I I agree with you. That's something worth paying attention to because it does seem like there's something there. I just I still wonder if BK BKFC is the best fit, but maybe they're paying her a ton, and maybe it is. Uh, Gable Stevenson, excuse me, after his uh, second Stevenson, Stevenson after his second straight NCAA championship there at. Uh, what is he, he super heavyweight or heavyweight, Luke? Is there such a thing in college? You are the heavyweight, two, two, uh, up to two eighty five is what they have. Okay. I believe. Uh, he talked with maybe. Ariel, Luke, and he's really not as much as he's headed right to WrestleMania. He says he, you know, expect to see him on the broadcast uh, coming up, and then expects to go full on into that world. He's not ruling out the MMA thing, Luke. Um, it's one thing to tease it though, but he sounds hungry like he's going to take that bite. So. Could he be one of these sort of freak celebrities who are like, I just want to come in for one big fun fight, whoever's the mm. biggest bidder? Yeah, he could. He, Dude, that kid, he should be able to, to, until he's 30 at least, he should be able to be calling a lot of shots, a lot of them. Freak athlete, amazing wrestler, dynamic personality, loves to be a showman and is good at it. He should not be under anyone's onerous contract, right? That if yeah. if 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 he can't get a, a good deal for himself in this world, nobody can. You know that that's just the reality. It's going to be fun to see uh, Daniel Cormier this week on his DC and RC show. Luke said that he thinks uh, if only if Gable went full time that he could become a you know heavyweight champion in this game. Like he sees it in him. We all I, see a lot I, of I athleticism, agree. and I know that Brock Lesnar like was. Crazy congratulatory after Gable won the NCAAs, Luke. And you have to think they're going to... I know it's not enough to get you back in. Like Stone Cold coming back at this WrestleMania for that skit thing they're going to do, Luke. I don't think that's enough to get you back in. Could I get you in for Gable versus Brock doing like a WrestleMania program? No, why would I care about pro wrestling? I just days? wanted to know your limits, Luke, okay? I know your personal limits. I've been there, Luke, okay? I my just li my limits are, oh, is there pro wrestling on the screen? Please change it. That's my <laughs> You want this or American Gladiators? Gladiators, yeah, yeah. Yes, I go. mean, or, you know, you could put on violent pornography, something that's got some redeeming value, but we don't, that's we not don't for me. We don't talk about that on this show. Uh, Luke, uh, real quick here, a couple of that Bellator news. Benson Henderson resigns with the promotion, and he's going to be in a headlining role on an upcoming Dublin card against Peter Queeley. Okay. That's a good fight for him, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I I like that. Dude, these guys who are a little bit older, they got a little bit of name left, they got a little bit of ability left, not trying to, like, deny them. So if I can go and beat the best, please stop. No, you can't. But that doesn't mean you can't beat, you know, some good, respectable name opposition, especially in Ireland, you know, where he comes out, and it's one of the best walkouts in all of MMA, that one he had with Zombie and the Cranberries. It was fucking unbelievable. So... Uh, yeah, great. Love it. Glad to hear it. Good. The other bit of Bellator news, in addition to what we had already talked about with Sergio Pettis, the champion pulling out of the Grand Prix. Now we have an interim title fight with, uh, with, uh, Rafion Stotts and the former champ Archuleta, but Luke, 
Uh, James Gallagher, unfortunately, out as well. I know you were part mm-hmm. of uh, reacting to that breaking news on CBS Sports HQ yesterday. Um, it looks like the result from Bellator is instead of announcing one alternate or two alternates to fill these two holes, we're going to get what? Is it three or, f- or is it two or four play-in matches to produce four, the... F- four fighters. So four fighters, two fights. On one side, it's um, Jornel Lugo. Excuse me, Jornel Lugo taking on uh, Sabatello. Winner of that, I believe, will fight Leandro Ego. On the other side, it's Enrique Barzola taking on Josh Hill. Now, Josh Hill was originally named as the only tournament replacement, but I guess the problem was when you lose a, a, a couple of your folks, including the champion, for crying out loud, you have to kind of play with this a little bit. So um, he will take on, it, was, it would be Hill and Barzola, which, by the way, is a great fight, but I got to tell you that Lugo-Sabatello fight, dude, Sabatello is a fucking hammer. And I think that's an ATT, Sanford, uh, ATT versus Sanford fight. As well, he, I think um, Sabatello just beat who's the kid out of Wales, uh, who was in the UFC. Brett Johns, I believe, he beat him. And dude, he's good. I like the. Um, he he might like go. He might, he might. He might. He might get some big fights. I like the stakes that it adds to a couple extra fights that you may not have paid attention to with that level of focus now, because we got these play-in opportunities. I don't know if I love it for the NBA playoffs, Luke. You know, we'll have to get. We'll have to experience that a few years and see if it hits at they, all. They but, do uh, it in big time European soccer. They might do it in MLS. I don't really watch that much MLS, but like they have, you know, um, the uh, FA Cup in the Premier League, right? So it's this little tournament within the season. In soccer, it works just fine for me, but we'll see how the NBA fans take to it. Uh, Luke, quickly to close on the quick hitters, uh, PFL is going to kick off their new season April twentieth. It's a Wednesday night on ESPN. Main event, the 155 champ, Rosh Manfio, taking on Don Mage or Madge. Anthony that's a, Pettis dude, that's a the, sick fight. Yeah, and Anthony Pettis in the co-main is going to take on Miles Price, nicknamed Magic, who's a uh, Irish kid from making his PFL debut that some people have said can do some things, Luke. Uh, Screwface Jr. there against Delon Monte and Clay Collard against Jeremy Stevens to kick that dude, card off. what a great I, fight I like it. that is. Yeah, I yeah. Like by the this. way, uh, that that Roush Manfio guy, I believe he won the whole season, but he certainly beat um, Anthony Pettis and Don Madge. Man, I've been talking about Don Madge. This guy went undefeated in the UFC. I guess there must have been some visa issues. I don't know why they let him go or what happened there. He never lost in the UFC. He, he I think he had two fights and he won them both pretty spectacularly. Dude, he's from South Africa. That fucking kid is good, very good, especially yeah. on the feet. Um, now he's got a difficult opponent in front of him, but like. Everybody should be keeping an eye, corner of your eye. Keep an eye out for Don Madge. That that guy can fight. Yeah, I like that first card. So PFL won me. They won me last year, Luke. I like a Wednesday night card here, too. I don't hate that at all. I love the Wednesday night cards. Yeah, I love them. All right, Luke, that's right. But some things we say in the uh, microphone each week are not only wrong, Luke. Morningcombat at gmail.com allows the people to tell us whether we are actually dead wrong. So let's take a chance on these L's, see if we'll squat for them. This one's called dead wrong okay on friday's march 18th show brian talked about how john jones's first main event in the ufc came against the janitor vladimir matashenko he's dead wrong though john's first main event actually came against brandon vera, vera. in the fight before that love the show listen to every episode only that episode a, that- i couldn't finish was luke's live chat a few weeks ago in the new spot yeah yeah, it had some issues. But I was going to say, uh, that that Vera fight was big because Vera was the first guy who was like, I'm going to win two titles in, in light heavyweight and heavyweight. Yeah. And he had, he had had some great success, had had a little bit of trouble, and then John 
absolutely buried that idea if there ever had any life left Didn't in they it. screw Vera on the cards against Randy Couture as well, Luke? It was a close one. I don't know if they screwed him, but it was definitely pretty close. It was, it was pretty close. All right, dead wrong number two. Hey, Donks, this is Eloy. Uh, during Monday's show, you were discussing where this past weekend's card, UFC London, ranked among all fight nights. Luke brought up the first Fox card with JDS KOing Velasquez and also said that Benson Henderson fought Jim oh, Miller. Oh, yes. I got but you're dead one. wrong because yep. Bendo fought Clay Guida. Clay Guida, yes. Yeah. Someone, someone wrote me uh, in the middle of the week being like, uh, you're going to get dead wrong on Friday. Fair enough. Fair enough. Also, what did those Argentinians say at the pool that made you think we are racist? Saludos. They, I'll, I'll tell you what they said. I'll tell you what they said. And people in South America look the other way on this, but to me, it's fucked up. And I don't give a shit what the culture is. They summoned him over to him to get them drinks by referencing his skin color. That's what they said to him, which I thought was. And, and people excuse this shit down there. I'm telling you, they'll be like, "That's just how we talk down here." Fuck that. That's how y'all talk down there because when you're fucking racist, you do not wow. summon a working class person over to you to get you drinks. By referring to his skin color. Fuck yeah. off. I don't want to yeah, hear that I'm ever. Not, I'm not endorsing that at all, Luke. I don't know where you're Dude, going with I'm this. I'm telling you, I bring it up, I bring it up to other people who are here who are from South America, and they're always like, Well, that's kind of how we talk. We don't mean it the same way. Get the fuck out of here. I don't believe that for two seconds. Uh this is from Jordan, who lives in Hawaii. On episode two seven nine in discussing Dan Hooker's previous losses, LT mentions Mahachev, Alan Felder, and Pawiwe. Not sure if I misunderstood Luke. He may have been referencing the battles that Hooker has fought as opposed to the losses, but he seems to yes. think that Dan Hooker lost to Paul Felder when, in fact, it was a split decision him. win although, for Hooker. Although it was a controversial split decision. Let's put it that way. Mahalo for all of the awesome content. Thank you, Jordan. Yes. Yeah, you think they call him yes. Air Jordan, Luke, in Hawaii? <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Finally, Luke, because I'm about to get a UTI if I don't find a restroom shortly. Uh, <laughs> on Wednesday's episode, when Luke and Brian were discussing the Zoo Gaucher fight, Brian referred to episode one of Star Wars and measuring levels, which Luke referred to mitochondria levels. I think what you're referring to is midichlorians. Midichlorian. Mitochondria is real. <laughs> <laughs> which are intelligent. It's the powerhouse of the cell, right? Don't you remember that from ninth grade biology? Yeah. Oh, mitochondria, as you may remember from biology, are the powerhouse of oh, the cell. Yeah, there you go. Love. There you go. Yes. All right, I got to pee my pants. Thank you, fans. Uh, more this show was terrible. It was a terrible show today. I, you know, I mean, it was low T, but I don't know about terrible. Terrible, Luke, really? Terrible. It wasn't great. This was not our best effort. I mean, you know, we had just come off last week, the maybe of the best shows we've ever done, Luke. So, uh, you know, also, also, like I have Corey I've got, like, I've got some combo of Ebola and AIDS like coursing through my veins right now, so. Yeah, that's probably true. All right. Uh, thank you to Athletic Greens, one of our fine sponsors, Luke. And please, uh, you can go to athleticgreens.com slash morning combat, combat with a K, of course, to get your um, your your start in, in AG1, Luke. Okay, so that's what I'm talking I'm gonna about. I'm going to take right some there, okay? right after the show. The, one, the free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and the five free travel packs with your per first purchase. Tell them. BC sent you. Okay, Luke, Showtime.com, 30 days. People know that shit as well. Morningcombat.store. Like and subscribe. Um, yeah, that's about all I got, Luke. Can you take him out of here? Thank you. Thank you. For Malka, CBS Sports, the big beige one himself, I'm Luke Thomas. I'll see you all on Monday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.